The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Listeners, we are going to rock your world today. There are so many people in the world today that have taken grace and they've taken the law and they have blended these two together and not properly kept them separated They've made them into one and then turned around and poured it out to an entire world stating that everyone, everyone in the world today is covered by grace. Now I know that there are some grace teachers in the world today that teach that grace applies to everyone. So for the theologians that possibly might be listening and to the Bible teachers and the scholars and all those who are a little bit on the heady side of the study of grace, I want to ask you a question. If grace applies to everybody, why does God send 90% of every person ever born to hell. That is a wasted investment. In fact, it's saying basically that God's impotent. That His grace didn't work. That's not even including as the term love is translated out in the Hebrew as God. Jehovah. Grace in the New Testament is translated out as one of the names of Jesus Christ. How many names does Jesus Christ have? Yeah, there's over 200 listed. And you have to ask yourself this question, you particularly you Bible scholars. Some of you are battling me on the fact that grace is Christ instead of an action that comes forth from Christ. It is a name. It is a name of Jesus Christ. So let's break this down and start right here for today. Book of Revelation refers to Jesus in two characters. And he associates these characters with the animal world. What are they? Okay, the Lion of Judah and the Little Lamb. Now people don't realize this. Some of you do. May not are connecting this to law and grace. But I want to show you something. From the Old Testament, the shepherd would carry a staff and the shepherd would carry a rod. The staff was simply to hook and pull one of these sheep toward him who was beginning to go astray. And if you had one of these these little lambs that were constantly going astray, the shepherd would take his hook and he would hook the, the little sheep around the neck and he would take his rod and he would 
spanketh the sheep. Now, anyone who has done any studying on shepherding, you realize that is a normal pattern for shepherds. Hook, spank. Hook, spank. The hook is the New Testament name, Jesus. The rod is the Old Testament name for judgment, the God of punishment, the judge. So what has happened here in the New Testament is many self-proclaimed Christians have evaporated the rod, that it has no purpose anymore. There's only the staff. So if an unbeliever is drifting a little bit, somehow we take this this hook, which is grace. The rod is the law. Now they have thrown the rod aside and they're just using this, this, this hook, the shepherd's hook. And they're using it on the unsaved people and they're, as they drift towards something that's evil, they'll reach out and use that grace, that hook, and pull them away from evil. Someone please tell me how fruitless that is. Is there anyone that is listening that has been successful in helping an unsaved evil person, as sweet as they are, as pretty as they may dress themselves up to be, has there been any success at 602-292-2982, has there been any success that you have had of leading an unsaved person through grace not to sin? That's what I want you theologians to answer me. And answer other true grace teachers. That you're using grace to stop sinners from sinning so that they will be deceived in being sinners because sinners go to They go to hell. Do you see what we have done? The rod has been put down. Now my experience in discipling men as soon as you bring the rod out, they're gone. With children, as soon as you bring the rod out, bitter thoughts, resentment, control, manipulation goes through their mind just because you picked up the rod. Even though we're commended by the Lord, if you believe in the Old Testament, spare the rod and and spoil the child. We have an entire human race. Stay with me, grace teachers. We have an entire human race that is spoiled rotten because you refuse to use the law. You're afraid of making people feel guilty. You think that you're going to be able to lead them into salvation by the use of your grace stick. But see, they have to realize something first. Before they can get through the, the passageway of that cross, they're going to have to be broken into pieces. And the only thing that's going to pass through the eye of that needle in the cross is a passion and desire to have a brand new life. And then when you get on the other side of that cross, you can actually be blessed and lived, live by in and through grace. Grace is for believers. 
And if you want an unsaved person to experience the grace of God, you better bring him to the cross. Not to an acceptance of Christianity. So this series that we are doing on true grace is painful for a lot of people. It's exciting for me, but it's painful for a lot of people. So this is number 96 of identity for eternity. And we're going to talk about truly understanding law and grace. Old covenant, new covenant. Tonight, before you go to bed, tomorrow morning for you early arisers, look into the heavens and look at the stars. The stars carry, as a promise given to Abraham, what? The offspring of Abraham. The stars were put in place to communicate first to Abraham that your descendants shall be great. But my Muslim listeners listen very carefully. There were two sons. And the promise was given to both sons. And God even sent an angel to talk to the mother of Ishmael to remind her that God will keep his word and his promise. But the inheritance of Abraham was passed to Isaac. There lies our battle to this very hour. And as you look into the heavens, I want to assure you that every star you look upon is named by the Almighty. And in the book of Revelation, it talks about there shall be stars that are turned out. They shall fall from heaven and be no more. And those I want you to remember, hopefully from tonight forward, after you look at these stars, are the appointed stars, the people who God knows in advance are snubbing him and saying, I'm bored by your truth. And they go to hell. That does not mean all the descendants of Ishmael are going to go to hell. There are thousands of converted Muslims into the true seed of Abraham with the inheritance. And all the stars that have been named as a part of the seed of Abraham that is to receive the great inheritance and blessing of eternal life shall be given privileges on this new earth. I'm looking forward to this new earth. Daily. Grace as a reminder, is God's redemption at Christ's expense, which becomes his very life, which supposedly becomes our very life. So let's take a look at some of the highlights in our passage today. 
For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. You see, that rod, that rod is to remind us as unbelievers that we're under a curse. Now, you have to think about how you're using the law and grace together and somehow punishing people through grace and doing whatever it is that you do by this blending of law and grace. But at the same time, if the law stick was used on you, you don't seem to handle that so well. Why is this? It's always easier to judge someone for the very thing we're guilty of. And that's what Jesus said. Judge not, lest you be judged in a like manner. So whatever it is that you're judging someone about, you're already guilty of, and that is why you're judging someone. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. You see, Paul wanted us to understand that if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all of them. But self-proclaimed Christians are pulling laws out of the Old Testament. It's called Judaized Christianity. And they're using it in their daily lifestyle. And it may be have something to do with shoes, like we talked about last week. Or it may have something to do with food. Or it may have something to do with the way they dress. It may have something to do with still using a prayer shawl. may have something to do with whatever. There's a bunch of them. We see, by them only using 25 of these laws, does not release them from the rest of the law. If you're going to try, here's, here's the point that Paul was making, that I want to make today. If you try to keep one of them, God's going to expect you to keep them all. So Judaized Christianity is a mistake. I am a Jew. I will say it again. I am a Jew. Because I have been grafted into the body of Christ, who is the Jew... So anyone that is listening that is claiming to be a Christian and you don't like Jews, I know your confession. And I know where you're going. You insult the Jewish people and you're in trouble. Deep trouble. The rod shall come forth. But if you're under conviction because you never knew that before and all of a sudden it's appealing to you because truth does live in you and, and you're starting to think about why do I hate Jews so much but yet I say that I'm a Christian. Then you're being led into repentance. You don't need the rod. But see, anyone who is indwelt by the life of Christ, you have become a Jew. You've been grafted like cutting out a piece of skin. 
and having it grafted onto Christ's body. That's why we become the body of Christ. Now, with that understanding, we can look at what Christ really did get accomplished in regard to the curse. Now that we're back at our scripture, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, faith, which is one of Christ's names, however, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse, he actually became the curse. The reason why we get a new earth is because this earth is cursed. Adam came from this dirt. When God cursed the earth, the seed of Adam literally brought that curse into every human. So therefore, God put the law upon all those people to make them feel guilty and condemned and feel like they're going to be judged. Good news for modern man. Listen carefully. Good news for modern man at 602-292-2982. If you're not saved, if you truly do not have the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, you are cursed. And if you don't find someone who could become that curse for you, you're going to be cursed forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Never will stop. The thing that will stop regard to the curse is this earth. God's going to torch it. He's going to put it in a bonfire. Because he has to open up that bonfire and he has to drop Satan, the false prophet, and the beast into this molten fire forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. ever. Then he's going to take that earth that's burning and he is going to quote unquote toss it into outer darkness. That's after all the lights go out. You like your universe? You like your study of your solar systems? You like the study of this new CERN movement that's going on with dark holes, black holes, sucking people into time zones and whatever? It's all laughable, folks, because it's all going to be turned out. Pitch black. And the only light that shall light the whole eternity is the light of the new earth. But on the dark side, the only light that shall be lit is the angel of light. This burning planet that will never go out is going to be tossed like a baseball into outer darkness and that is the only thing you'll see sparkling 
and the universe of darkness. Either that or God's a liar. And I don't believe he is. Cursed are you. Unsaved people. Cursed are you, you non-indwell people. That does not mean that is your destination. I'm just trying to show you the only way you're going to be freed from the curse is to go to someone who became the curse. And they bear the consequences of that outer darkness and torment. So you can pass through that passageway, which is a distinct moment, and you can breathe new life forever and ever and ever on the new earth. So you reconstructionists that are telling me that the earth is going to be reconditioned, torched, and purified, and then that's where we're going to live for eternity, i got a question for you. One of my network members wrote a book on this. And talks about this new earth being redeemed. The old earth being made new. But I have a question to you guys locally here listening. Where do people go who go to hell? There's some special planet out there. Pluto maybe. They took that out of the planet name. And I don't know what they're going to name it. Maybe they're going to name it Hell. Where are they going? Let me ask you another question. Is Satan on Pluto? No. Is Satan on Saturn? No. Is Satan on Mars? No. Where is he? Can he ever leave it? No. <laughs> you see how stupid space travel is? People are trying to escape something they know inside is very evil about this earth. They want away from it. We kill each other. We destroy each other. We destroy the earth. We Green movements, purple movements, orange movements. Do whatever you want to it. But they know inside it is dying daily. And they want to get away from it. I can assure you, people are going nowhere that Satan is not. Won't happen. Christ will come back before technology allows him to do it. And that's why the CERN people are working on this gate. This traveling light thing they've been doing for years. They're, they're working on this gateway because they have figured it out already. It's too much for us to try to create a new earth. That's what the Mars movement's about. They're trying to create a new earth. It will not happen. They're trying to run from the curse. I will give this to you CERN people. It's a cult movement. It's one of the largest in the entire world. I showed Jeannie yesterday, Jess, some of the world leaders that are pouring money into this gateway, time, effort, and their religious beliefs. It's disgusting to say the least. All the way from the White House to Jerusalem. Because they have figured the only way we're going to get 
out of this mess is to create a gateway at time hole to get into the future to try to control decisions that humans make so the world doesn't become evil, more evil. It's a real movement and it's real technology. So, listeners, I just want you to hang on to one fact that everyone's trying to escape this curse. And there's only one way you can escape this curse. It's through the eye of the cross. It's the only way out. You want to do some fancy time warping, follow me. I'll take you to the cross. But when you put your eye up to that little needle hole in the cross, you're going to ask a question like, well, how am I going to get through there? You're going to be broken into nothingness so that God may draw what's left through that cross, redeem you and give you a brand new life. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. For those of you who do not understand the theology of the Old Testament to the New Testament, the tree of life spoken of in the Old Testament is exactly, in fact, I personally believe that the wood itself in that tree of life originally is the same wood that Jesus' cross was made out of. I won't know that until I get on the other side. Same way I believe, as you local folks know, that the wood that was thrown into the bitter waters of Mary, Moriah, is the same wood that the tree of life was made out of. I personally believe that. I also believe it's the same wood the cross was made out of. It's a fact that probably doesn't matter much to most people. It does to me. Because I believe everything has got purpose. So this tree, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Meaning, cursed is everyone who goes to the tree of co-crucifixion. For the old self has been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ. Well, what tree are you hanging on? You see, if, if you want to embrace the true gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the gospel, if you want to embrace true grace, who is grace, you're going to have to understand a simple fact. You have to hang on the tree. Or you're not getting through the eye of that needle. You want to talk about the exchange life principles? Hang out there for a little while. Everyone who hangs on the tree is cursed. It's written right in front of you. Paul, I'm with you. I understand what you were saying. And he, and he says this in order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the true seed coming down, might come to the Gentiles, that'd be guys like me, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Faith being another one of Jesus' names. I can't have faith unless I go to the guy who is faith. Because my faith is going to send me to hell. Because see, faith is taking something in the unseen world and bringing it into, finish the verse, things that are seen. Well, how in the world do we do that? 
Well, you CERN people are working on it. Why can't we work on it as indwelled Christians? <laughs> you see how stupid this is? People tend to believe something they can create, like a time machine, a gateway to a wormhole, and they don't even realize if they were able to open up this wormhole what they're going to see. But anyone tries to play God's world, they're going to get shut down rather quickly. This is the only way, folks. What I'm saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God. So as to the nullify the promise, for if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of this promise or a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of disobedience. Soon as Adam chose to put that fruit from that dangling tree over a perfect creation, you with me? Everything around him was absolutely perfect and he could eat from. But see, there was this this branch that was dangling over that perfect, beautiful pathway. And Eve reached up and pulled off one of those apples or whatever it was. She ate it and it was good tasting. She passes it to her husband, whether it's several miles away or several minutes away. He ate. And upon taking the darkness that was draping over perfection, that darkness entered into their bodies through a seed of an apple. But it was cursed. And curse has a tendency to get into every cell of your body, like cancer. The reason why you're going to get sick this week or next week or next year is because of that principle. When you breathe in cursed air, it's going to go into your body and it will curse your body. Do you understand that? God gave us the natural things to understand the supernatural. The next time you're sick with a virus, think about what a virus is. It is a branch dangling over God's beautiful creation called you, and you're breathing in this virus that is meant to kill you. And it will. Now you can take your aspirin, drink your orange juice, and do those kinds of things to delay the inevitable. But you will die. Some of you listening are going to die this week. This week, listener... You're going to die. And you better be able to answer this question. Am I truly indwelt by the life of Jesus? Or am I a Christ follower? Christian. I hope you have the answer. If you're fighting this curse thing, then I do have to question you. When you call or when you text, whether you do have the truth person in you. 
Because truth always bear wit- bears witness with truth. Always. Because it's one. So Christ in me, when he hears the truth, I might not like the truth I'm hearing, but when I hear it, I'm like, wow. Because it's bearing witness. It's breaking down my will to embrace his will. Here's our question for today. How does law, works, come into play with grace without works? How would you answer this? Okay. Does Satan live in the Old Testament or the New Testament? But is he in the New Testament? That's not the New Testament. New Testament is a new covenant. It used to be called Old Covenant, New Covenant. We changed it to Old Testament, New Testament. Is Satan living in the New Covenant? How do you get into this New Covenant? Has he ever been through that? Will he ever be going through that? Will his followers ever go through it? No. Will the demons ever go through it? No. Is the Old Testament still alive? Theologians, listen carefully. Bible teachers, listen carefully because this is going to rock your world. I believe it is the golden key we should have in our pockets to explain the book of Revelation. This is the golden key for me. Is the Old Testament still alive and well? It is. And it shall be until the last breath that is spoken and breathed on Judgment Day. The last person in line the very last person is subject to the Old Testament and the law and shall be given the consequences of the law because they did not fulfill the law because they broke one of the rules. Next and final question before I give you the answer here. Does Satan submit to the law of the Old Testament? He's bound by it. Does he honor it? That's a different question. Does he submit to it? He's required to submit to it. That's why he can't do what he wants to do with us today. That's why he can't do what he wants to do with the world yet. He can't do anything until God grants him permission to do it. And it messes with his world. It rocks his world. And he's upset. He's bitter. He's angry. He's hateful because he can't adjust the law and timeline of the living God. He's bound by it. Faith without works 
is an emergent, passive, and dead action of mankind who use grace as an action. Demons believe that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit are one, James 2.19. Thus are spirits of works. This is why they push humanity into legalism. That's where they live. Are you with me? Demons live in the world of the Old Testament. Demons live in the works world. Demons live bound by the law. And they want to drag as many people as they can into this law-abiding world. And indwell believers, they even want to suck those into this legalistic, gracilistic movement. Since faith without works is useless, James 2.20, we can say that grace, faith, without the law, works, is useless. The verse literally says faith without is dead. Faith without works is dead. That went over so many people's heads right now, it's ridiculous. Just blows me away. People hear that verse and they go, yeah, I can even quote that one. And then I'll get a text. With them maybe either serving one or the other. As a shepherd, I carry a hook and I carry a rod. And I, day by day, I want to learn to become more effective with the two. But I carry both sticks. This all results in the doctrine of Jesus fulfilling the law continually, continually through the believer. So Jesus came to fulfill the law, did fulfill the law. He came to indwell us. He did indwell us. And he fulfills the law through us 24 hours a day so we don't have to try to live by works. Now our works become purified as Christ's works are pure. So now his faith, his life, his personhood, now with his works, his doing it through us, are what integrates. Big difference. The law with its behavioral regulations demanded works of obedience. The performance, as Galatians 3.10 says, of self-effort to attempt to keep Galatians 5.3 and to do Romans 2.14 and practice Romans 2.25, practice the law. The point was and is that the attainment of such law-keeping was impossible for sinful man apart from the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. You and I who are indwelt can actually keep the law through Christ because he's doing the keeping and the fulfilling. Something radically different was necessary, of course, the era of not focusing on the exchanged life, Christ in you keeping the law. It puts the believer back into the trap of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant of being under the curse of the law. 
So if you're trying to change your children in parenting by using the law alone, you are reinforcing the curse in them. You see, Paul said later on to the Romans, he said, for the law arouses sinful passions. So a lot of parents use this stick constantly on their children and it's just arousing more sinful passions. Why? Because of this curse. So when you put out a sign that says, do not touch the wet paint, what does the kid do? Touches the wet paint. Well, how's that different than do not commit immorality? There are Christian young people listening today, right now, right now, this moment, that are going to commit adultery before the sun falls on the earth tonight. And you're already thinking, I will not do this. I will not break this commandment. I will not. And you will do it before you sleep tonight. 602-292-2982. That's what the law does. If you want to tell your children don't lie and expect them not to lie, you're being lied to. That's what the law does. So you should be asking yourself right now as a parent, well, how in the world am I supposed to train up my children in the way that they should go? Stay tuned. That's what this whole series is about. The error of not focusing on the exchanged life, it puts that believer back into the trap of the old covenant by being under the curse of the law. This provision of the life of grace of God, which is his son, was the only redeemable coupon for mankind. He, he has this coupon. He says, but you need to come unto me, all of you are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you this coupon. Well, I think I'm going to try someone else's coupon. I think I'm going to try to find another way around the cross. Yeah, you emergent people, let me know how that turns out. Because that is the visual description I give emergent followers. They cleverly use doctrines of the tree of knowledge to walk around the cross because they don't want to go through the painful process of going through the cross. Because everything's got to be happy. Everything's got to be joyful. Everything's got to be fixing the fix that God's got fixed on you to get you fixed from where he's trying to fix yourself so you don't go to hell. I just don't want to deal with the stresses of life, so I'm going to take a pill. I don't want to deal with the depression in life, so I'm going to take a pill. I don't want to deal with the anxiety. of, And we just go around the cross of brokenness, of the curse. That's hanging there. So Jesus becoming sin, Jesus becoming a curse. Thank you, Jesus. I willingly approached that cross and I said, break me, make me nothing. And then when I get on the other side of that cross, old Adamic thoughts and trash left behind by the old man drape over my pathway. And every once in a while, more often than I want, of course, I pick from that draping fruit over my perfect, beautiful pathway in Christ Jesus. And I eat. And I get sick. 
And for some reason, the God who heals leaves that sickness there for a while. For if those who are of the law are inheritors, faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. So the Jewish people who have not been converted, who have not received the indwelling life of Jesus, are hoping for that. That they're going to get the inheritance of Abraham. See, they're missing a small little piece, aren't they? It's so small, it's about the opening of a needle. Just a small little piece. So they're going to work and work and work to fulfill the law the best they can and hope that when they die and they get on the other side, Christ will go, or to them, it's Jehovah, will say, well, you did fairly well. I'll give you about a 67%. Since you went over 50%, you can come with the rest of us to the bosom of Abraham. And to that, my precious Jewish brothers and sisters who are lost, you're prodigals. You will not go to the bosom of Abraham unless you go through the eye of the needle. And that is Jesus Christ, your Messiah. Jesus Christ is your Messiah. He is your Savior. He's your Redeemer. He is your passageway to the bosom of Abraham. 602-292-2982. I want to share the rest of the gospel with you. You need to understand fulfilling the law gets you nothing, even though you can't do it. But where the law is, but where there is no law, there also is no violation or conviction of sin. For this reason... It is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be granted to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Think of that when you look into the stars tonight. See, my star's up there, so is yours. You really need to ask, which star am I? Of the seed of Abraham that will receive the inheritance of Jesus Christ? Or not? Now, I really am reaching out to my Jewish brothers and sisters right now because you are really thick with deception. That fulfilling this law, which you'll never be able to do, is going to get you into the bosom of Abraham. So while the law of God was a judicial, judicatory and legal and demanded works of obedience, the gospel of grace, which is Jesus Christ, simply invites the approachability of faith. So when you all said and have faith given to you as a gift, a life, you're able to see things in the unseen world in your mind and heart and walk. That's a real miracle. The Old Testament law revealed the sinfulness of man apart from God 
and the need of God's grace to come as a person, the one who fulfills the law of God. So you talk about God loving you. He knew you weren't going to be able to fulfill the law, so he literally sent a gift to you of someone who could and did. So that's love. So law, God, and its basis of works must be contrasted with grace and its basis of faith and life, Romans 9.32. You first got to contrast it, separate it out. The contrast of God's grace activity through the representation of a life, Jesus Christ, received by faith, he became our faith, puts to shame the promise-oriented, performance-oriented legalism of works that continues within the context of self-proclaimed Christian living. So the reason why that self-proclaimed Christians are still using this law as they relate to other people is because of this. They're working on some form of integration versus separation. Christ came to separate the goats from the sheep. Why in the world would he have to do that? Didn't he do a good job with discipling his own people? What's wrong with God? You see, in the end times, they're going to be so the goats and the sheep are going to be hanging out in the same churches. They're going to have ministry titles and names and have ministries all over the world, and they're goats. I went and got a few sound effects on goats and sheep and whatever for our Jack the Journey series or whatever. And it, I almost chuckled a little bit because goats kind of sound like sheep. But sheep, except for goats, are a little bit more harsh. And the sheep are, you know, more what I'm used to thinking of a sheep. And it sounds like more like a little kid. Children. Be as children. They, have, they function kind of alike, but goats eat everything in sight, including people. And sheep don't. Sheep eat what the shepherd puts in front of them. You see, they're a lot alike, but not. So you see, these two final prophets have to come and separate the goats from the sheep. Separate them out. No, you're not. One of us. Get it? <laughs> You're not one of us. I wonder how they're going to feel at that moment. When the hook is used on you to pull you away from the body of Christ and they say, You're not one of us. Stay away from my master's sheep. Go jump thy off thy cliff if thy want. Or go through the eye of the cross. Your choice. Writing to the Galatians, Paul strengthens his contrast of the works of the law, 2.16, and the faith of the Son of God, 2.20, of course, one of our favorite verses. Even more clearly, in Galatians 2.19, Paul explains, I died to the law that I might live to God. And of course, that's who Christ Jesus so he concludes with the most glaring contrast of Galatians 2.21. 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. 
Without an understanding of grace, the death of Jesus Christ was redundant, unnecessary, a tragic mistake, and it would it would make Old Testament law without a vital provision and purpose. If the indwelt Christian puts any stock in keeping the commandments and obeying the regulations as a basis of righteousness, they live in, in effect, deny not only the usefulness of the crucifixion of Jesus, but their own crucifixion with Jesus. And that's why they don't accept the exchanged life. That's why we're bad boys in their book. Paul clearly explains to the Galatians who were reverting to legalism that law and grace are so mutually separated and never to be combined or integrated unless Christ Jesus fulfills it in the believer. That quote-unquote you are you who are seeking to justify be justified by the law you have fallen from grace and if grace is Jesus you have fallen from Jesus he also makes clear that the fullness one cannot work uh, he also makes it clear that the full that the fullness of this is that one cannot work without the other. Earlier in the same verse in Galatians 5.4, he says, you have, been, uh, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So if you're working with someone and you're using the law to separate them, As fairly recently, this guy locally says, I'm going to bring your ministry down. You see, I immediately put him into a category of a group of self-proclaimed Christians who say they're, they're doing this out of the purpose of ministry. In reality, this is what they're doing. They're not interested in redeeming for unity. They're interested in, interested in using the law to separate you from them. And I say, let's do it. Because I don't want to associate with a so-called believer who calls themselves blah, blah, blah. It's dangerous. But that's what our church is faced with. So the difference that Paul makes between law and grace as opposing basis of relationship with God and living the indwelt Christian life cannot be avoided or explained away. Law and grace are two separate operations and persons. Law, stay with me, law is God and grace is Jesus. And you have to have both for salvation. So here's our identity statement for today, folks. In our study of the law of God, we consider the purposes of the Old Testament and its law. It is healthy to refer to the purposes of the law because the law has instrumental purpose beyond itself, like setting up for the coming of his son. The law is a means to an end. 
It was not the end of itself. So the Jewish people, particularly the Orthodox Jews, see the law as the end. If I fulfill the law, it is done. It is finished. So therefore, I work constantly to keep God happy by eating kosher foods. So every action becomes either pleasurable to God or not pleasurable to God. They miss the purpose of the law. It's not to make them healthy. It's not to make them obedient. It's not to make them anything besides feeling like they're a big, cursed human going to the pit of hell. Think that way, my dear Jewish friend, and you'll probably find salvation. Grace, on the other hand, has no purpose beyond itself has no purpose beyond itself. Law has a purpose beyond itself. We just spent today talking about that. Grace has no purpose beyond itself for which it is conditional. Boy, am I going to get some feedback on this one. You're trying to tell me that grace has got conditions, Steve? Yes, I am. Grace has conditions. In fact, it has so many conditions, it will twist and baffle your mind and you'll never be able to come out of that muck until you accept this simple principle, truth and life, and that is, the condition is, you must come through Christ Jesus to have it. That's a condition. And if one of you grace teachers want to challenge me on this, that receiving true grace, life for eternity, does not have a condition, then it's going to be difficult for me to listen to you because God has invested his entire old stories in setting up conditions that make us feel like failures so that we can go to someone who has said, I'll take care of those conditions for you. But there's only one condition left for you. I'm going to leave that one in place. And all of you who want to come unto my Father know this. What's the rest of it? You must, you must come through me. If you think that some people have grace poured over them and God's going to send them to hell and His grace is going to exist in hell, you've got bad theology going on. God will not waste one droplet of grace on any unsaved person until they decide, I will meet this one condition. And that is, I will come unto the Father through Christ Jesus. And literally, lay my cursed life upon the cross, co-crucifixion, and adopt, exchange, and receive the life of Jesus Christ after that old man stays on that cross dead, burned forever. Don't tell me the old man and new man still exist together. That's bad theology. Why do you choose to do bad things, old things? Because there is trash in your mind left behind by the old nature. 
And Satan appeals to it through that dangling fruit over the pathway so that you will choose to reach up and eat from the fruit of the Adamic nature. That doesn't mean your Adamic nature is alive. So my dear gracialistic teachers, there is a condition of grace. And if there is anyone in your following that doesn't want to meet that one condition, I hope you're not helping them go to hell. I truly do. Grace has no motive that we can understand. To ask the question, what is the purpose of grace, is basically saying the same thing of, does Jesus exist? If grace is Jesus, if you're questioning grace, and if you're trying to squeeze or integrate Jesus into a demonic society, which is what we're doing, people don't even know who the real Jesus is anymore. We just did a series on that. It's called Universalism. Everything's Jesus. Having my talk with Jesus this morning. Well, who is this Jesus? Tell me about him. How'd you get to know him? Does he live inside you, around you, above you? Does he walk in front of you? Talk to me about this Jesus. Because I'm not impressed. Unless it is Jesus. But we don't want to use the rod like that with people because we don't want... Honestly, at 602-292-2982, we don't want to be judged. I say judge me with your laws. Try to prove my frail weaknesses of fleshly humanity. You've accomplished nothing. But the life of Christ in each of the believers... That's where you're going to find great life and success. And that's why I said a few weeks ago, I don't trust any human. But I only trust Christ in them. And if they don't have Christ in them, I'm not going to trust them, period. But if they have Christ in them, I can trust Jesus Christ working in that relationship. And that's why we're not to have friends with the world. And what did James say that that results in? Hostility toward God. He who's friends with the world is hostile toward God. And I'm here to tell you the reason is, is you don't want to be judged. You don't want to be looked at as not nice. You don't want to be looked at as radical. Grace is an end in itself. For when God acts in Jesus Christ, He is an end in Himself. It's a destination. Grace is a destination. It's a place of rest. It's done. It's finished. I've arrived. It's a finished work. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.